During the practice of therapeutic Qigong, breathing is always done through the diaphragm, what we call abdominal breathing. And abdominal breathing is known to stimulate the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the most important nerve in the parasympathetic system. And it's called vagus because it's everywhere. It's like a vagrant, it's a vagabond, it's everywhere. And when we exhale slowly, the vagus nerve is stimulated. Welcome to the Good Medicine Podcast. During this series of podcasts, we will explore thought-provoking topics related to health and wellness and take a fresh look at how integration of modern medicine with ancient methods of healing are leading the pathway to better therapeutic strategies, yielding long-lasting positive results. That and much more on the Good Medicine Podcast with your host, Fernando Bernal. During this third and final episode of our Tai Chi Trilogy, podcasts, we will discuss the subject of Qigong, which is very uh, related to some degree to Tai Chi. Let us first uh, discuss the similarities between the two. Tai Chi and Qigong are both Chinese of Asian origin, and the date back, particularly Qigong, dates back a long time, thousands of years, while Tai Chi is really not that old, so that would be a difference, but they're both Asian origin. Both practices focus on cultivating and balancing the body's vital energy, the Chinese call it qi, and promoting overall health and well-being. While they have distinct differences, Tai Chi and Qigong, they also share several similarities. Number one, they both have mind-body connection. Both Tai Chi and Qigong emphasize the connection between the mind and the body. They involve mindful movements and deep breathing, which help practitioners become more aware of their physical sensations and mental states. Both practices involve slow, flowing movements that are coordinated with the breath. These movements are gentle and low impact, making them accessible to people of various fitness levels and ages. Uh, stress reduction. Tai Chi and Qigong are both often used as relaxation techniques. They can help reduce stress, anxiety, promote a sense of calmness and relaxation. Uh, the focus on mindful movement and breathing, this encourages a meditative state of mind. Breath control. Proper breathing is a fundamental aspect of both Tai Chi and Qigong. Deep, slow, and controlled breathing helps to oxygenate the body, relax the nervous system, and improve overall health. And we will talk more about uh, breath control and its involvement in the vagus nerve and how that kicks in one of the uh, autonomic nervous systems of the body. We'll do that later on. They both work on balance and coordination. Uh, both Tai Chi and Qigong require balance and coordination. However, in the beginning, a lot of people don't have that. They don't have the balance. They don't have the coordination. But with practice, it can improve physical stability and help prevent falls, particularly in older adults. And that was our topic last week. We discussed the fear of falling and uh, the falls efficacy scale and uh, TUG, uh, time up and go uh, scales that measure the ability of practitioners of Tai Chi in the older population, uh, how it improved their balance, but more important, it removed the fear of falling. 
which is that fear itself is, is very uh, devastating. Both practices address the flow of qi. They aim to promote the smooth flow of qi through the body's energy channels or meridians, and this is believed to support overall health and vitality. In a future episode, when we talk more about Chinese medicine, I think it would be wise to discuss this idea of meridians. Uh, we will talk about channels and the interpretation of qi as energy. Uh, we'll leave that for a future discussion, but it's important that we appreciate the various uh, translations that have been proposed throughout the years for channels and for qi. But I digress. Uh, both have practices that are rooted in traditional Chinese medicine or principles. They share concepts related to the balance of yin and yang, uh, as well as ideas of harmonizing the body's vital energy that we call qi. Both tai chi and qigong uh, are often used as complementary therapies for various health conditions, including chronic pain, arthritis, Uh, cardiovascular health, and mental well-being. Many people find relief uh, from these conditions by practicing Tai Chi and or Qigong. Now, while Tai Chi and Qigong share these similarities, they also have distinct differences in terms of their forms, sequences, and martial applications. We spoke on the first episode about originally Tai Chi was really a fighting art. So there are some differences there. Tai Chi, for example, often includes a specific sequence of movements, while Qigong encompasses a broader range of exercises, including standing meditation, very powerful stuff, and self-massage techniques. Additionally, Tai Chi is often more martial in nature, while Qigong is primarily focused on health, Uh, vitality, but both practices offer unique benefits, and individuals may choose one or the other based on personal preferences and goals and age. So as we move on, let's now define what is Qigong. Qigong is an ancient practice of exercise that dates back thousands of years in China, and we stated earlier that it predates Tai Chi. Qigong has been used in hospitals, universities, and has been the subject of much attention and research in the medical setting. The therapeutic benefits of regular Qigong practice are numerous. We stated earlier that includes reduction of hypertension, arthritis, uh, diabetes mellitus type 2, and even as an adjunct in the treatment of some types of cancer. Information on the therapeutic effects of Qigong are readily available to he or she who is so inclined to learn more. It's a quick search in, in PubMed, the library for the National Institute of Health, NIH. If you, if you type in there Qigong, you will find hundreds of papers and review papers and meta-analysis of the practice of Qigong for therapeutic purposes. For our discussions, however, we will focus on the effect of Qigong on stress. But first, as usual, I like to define our terms. Qigong is made up of two Chinese words, qi and gong. Qi is a prevalent thought in Chinese medicine and Chinese philosophy. It is considered to be the driving force of all existence. Everything that is alive is alive because of qi. Plants, insects, humans, but also non-live matters like uh, sunlight, coal, heat, dampness, 
in all of these examples, qi is a component, and, and qigong is a vital part of our practice because qi, meaning life force, is promoted through qigong. Often qi has been translated as energy, also as air or breath. For our purposes on qigong, we will think of qi as air or breath. Often qigong is translated as energy work, and by extension it is, because it is the breath that eventually generates energy in the body, oxygen. So it is by an extension uh, energy, but we will deal with the translation in, in the future. For now, we will consider the qi component of qigong as breath or air. Now, let's define gong. Most people have heard the term gong fu. And in this case, when we talk about gong fu, the word gong means practice, means work. So gong fu itself has nothing to do with martial arts. It did become a term associated with martial arts because of the television series called gong fu. But gong fu basically means attaining a high level of proficiency in a given field, for example. A cab driver in New York City who can take you from point A to point B in short time will be considered a gong fu in cab driving. A chef in a restaurant will be considered a gong fu in the culinary arts. An accomplished musician will be a gong fu in music. So gong fu just means attainment of a certain level of, of proficiency in a given uh, art form or field. Uh, and, and that's often done through a lot of work. So gong and qigong is the same as the gong in kung fu, and it means work. In our case, it's breath work. We're cultivating the breath through practice. So we can say that qigong is the practice of breath. Of course, by extension, we can then eventually think of breath as energy, prana. But for now, let's just concentrate on the actual act of breathing or breath work. And gong is the practice of breath workers or cultivation if you will. As we stated earlier, Qigong is a form of calisthenics. And like Tai Chi, of which there are many styles, there are also many styles and types of Qigong. One of the most famous and most studied style of Qigong in universities and hospitals, both in China and in the West, is a system called Eight Pieces of Brocade, which consists of eight exercises that you practice in a sequence. So, to give us a final uh, interpretation of Qigong, we can say that Qigong is the synchronization of breath and movement. In a paper published in PubMed, the National Institute of Health Medical Library, a systematic review of 28 studies regarding the benefits of Qigong in the integrative settings, like in hospitals that uh, allow uh, complementary practices such as Qigong, acupuncture, uh, chiropractic, and what have you. Uh, in that type of setting, uh, 28 studies were gathered uh, to see the benefits of Qigong in, in therapy. The systematic review revealed the beneficial application of Qigong in the prevention and rehabilitation of diseases and physiological disorders in adults and the elderly, such as cancer, fibromyalgia, uh, Parkinson's disease, COPD, social isolation, chronic low back pain, 
cervical pain, osteoarthritis, fatigue, uh, depression, cardiovascular diseases. I mean, the list goes on of the benefits that have been derived through the practice of Qigong. And the beautiful thing about this is that that's not the saying or, or, or the statement of some holistic practitioner or, or, or integrative physician, but these are studies done in actual hospitals and conducted by universities. And so it gives a lot of credibility to the therapeutic value of Qigong. To appreciate how Qigong affects our health, we need to take a small dive into physiology, and I will do my best to keep it in a very uh, uh, layman's terms or make keep it as basic as I possibly can. And, and particularly the, the, the physiology of the nervous system and the endocrine system, the system that's responsible for hormones and the nervous system, of course, responsible for neuroconduction. The nervous system, we'll start with that, is divided into branches. One branch is the central nervous system, and then the peripheral branch, the peripheral nervous system. The central nervous system, of course, consists of the spinal cord and the brain. By contrast, the peripheral nervous system are all the nerves that come out of the spinal cord and the brain, and they innervate our limbs, our organs, and everything outside of the spinal cord and the brain. That's the peripheral nervous system. Now, the peripheral nervous system, in turn, is divided into two branches. One is the somatosensory branch that deals with sensory input from touch and feeling, temperature, and so on, and the autonomic nervous system. It is this last system that is of concern to us as Qigong practitioners. The autonomic nervous system consists of two branches, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And I'll get to how Qigong affects this because it the, the benefits of Qigong doesn't happen just because of magic <laughs> or we, because we believe in Qigong. There's a physiological process that is responsible for the many benefits that we derive from this meditative, contemplative practices. It's not just unique to Qigong, of course. Meditation, uh, yoga, all these different contemplative systems all yield the same effect through the same mechanisms through our physiology. So the sympathetic system is known as the fight or flight. The perception of threat activates the sympathetic nervous system and triggers an acute stress response that prepares the body to fight or flight. And when I spoke earlier of the somatosensory system, the, the, the system that is responsible for feelings, sensations, sensory, if we hear a loud bang, uh, that is going to immediately activate the sympathetic nervous system. We don't know what that is. Uh, there's hardwired uh, nervous system that causes us to look a certain direction that this loud bang came from. Our body reacts immediately to that. If we see uh, a tiger coming at us through the visual input or the sensory of, of the eyes, that's going to activate the sympathetic nervous system. And all this other sensory input activates that system. Conversely, the parasympathetic system, also known as the rest and digest, works in opposition to the sympathetic system. We can think of these two systems, and it's a, it's a common analogy, as the gas pedal and the brake pedal in a car. Both are essential to get a car from point A to point B in a safe fashion. Likewise, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic system are essential for our survival and are considered conserved physiology. 
meaning that it has stayed intact throughout our human existence, no mutations on that system, and acts the same way on the individual in Wall Street or to the cavemen long ago. It's the same reaction. The difference, however, is that the caveman, when he went hunting in the morning and was chased by a saber-toothed tiger, he would either, through the sympathetic response, fight or flight. If he fought, he either became the tiger's lunch or he would take meat home. He'd take some, some meal for the family from that tiger. And then it was all over. If he ran, once he got to his home cave, it will be all over and the rest and digest response from the parasympathetic system will kick in until next morning when he goes out hunting again. It was done. It was over. Today, however, things are different. Generally, we are not being chased by tigers and lions unless we live in the jungle. We have different types of stress today. However, our physiological reaction to stress today is the same as it was back in the caveman days. Same chemistry, same nervous system, just different input. And one main difference is that today, the stimulus of stress is continuous. You get home, if you happen to turn on the news, stress. You are driving, stress. And we carry that stress on throughout the day and do not find a way to turn the sympathetic mode of the fight or fly mode and not spend enough time in a parasympathetic mode. Now, some people will say, well, I got home and I had a drink and that relaxes me. Well, that's not really uh, going into a parasympathetic mode. That's just mostly, uh, well, you know what alcohol does. Also, let's talk about job stress. It is estimated to cost the American companies and the healthcare system more than $300 billion a year in health costs. Billions would it be. That's a lot of money that is costing society because of stress. So we have to find means of dealing with our stress since fighting is not always the most convenient way of dealing with stress. And sometimes you can't fight. You can't get out of the situation. You can't leave the circumstances that have driven you to have a lot of stress. So we need to find another way of dealing with that continuous input of stimulus that kicks in that sympathetic mode, fight or flight response that we have in our bodies. It is here where self-cultivation techniques such as meditation, yoga, tai chi, and qigong, among others, come to the rescue by inducing or activating the parasympathetic system. This is why many corporations are offering their employees stress management programs such as yoga, tai chi, qigong, massage, anything to reduce stress on the job. I remember reading a long time ago about a Japanese company where the employees were required to have a yawn break. And when they did that, production went up. And I will explain why yawning would actually help uh, promote good work habits and increase production, because that is one of the ways to stimulate the parasympathetic system. Okay, so how does Qigong affect the stress response? So to appreciate how Qigong has an effect on the stress response, first we need to understand how stress is activated. We spoke earlier about the somatosensory system, where input from our senses, uh, that I'm talking about 
emergency input, a loud bang, uh, a tiger coming at us, uh, feeling uh, something crawling in our back. All of those things activate this, the sympathetic nervous system through the sensory uh, organs in the body. Once the brain has detected or received this input, that immediately sets a cascade of chemistry from the brain, from the pituitary gland to the adrenal glands. So there is a hormonal reaction. And this hormonal reaction releases chemistry. It activates the adrenal glands to release cortisol. Parallel to that chemical messenger from the brain, through the nervous system, the splenic nerve, the adrenal gland is activated to release epinephrine or adrenaline. So now we have two substances that are released from the adrenal gland, one being cortisol and the other one being adrenaline. And they both work in concert to get us prepared to fight or flight. Cortisol causes fat tissue to release triglycerides or fatty acids for energy. Also, sugar is increased. That sugar is immediately shunted to the muscles so we can run, fight. And epinephrine or adrenaline has an effect on the heart in which makes the heart move faster. And of course, it needs to do that in order to get oxygen to the tissues so that we can run or fight and also oxygen to the brain. Epinephrine also dilates the bronchioles in the lungs, so more oxygen is available to deliver to the tissues. And this is good. This is fine. We need that. The problem is when this becomes chronic. Many conditions are the result of chronic sympathetic mode. So the sympathetic nervous system is the gas pedal. It gets us going, but you can't keep that going forever. We need to be able to put the brakes on it. That's where the parasympathetic system kicks in. Think of the parasympathetic system as the the modulator, the regulator, and there are many ways to activate the parasympathetic system. In relation to Qigong, the parasympathetic system is brought in through breath work. Now, the heart is affected by how we breathe. When we inhale, the heart beats faster. This is done on purpose, the physiology of the body, in order to keep sufficient amount of blood flow to the lungs so it's comparable to the amount of oxygen. This is known as respiratory sinus arrhythmia, and it's a normal reaction. Conversely, when we exhale, the heart slows down. During the practice of therapeutic Qigong, breathing is always done through the diaphragm, what we call abdominal breathing. And abdominal breathing is known to stimulate the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the most important nerve in the parasympathetic system. And it's called vagus because it's everywhere. It's like a vagrant. It's a vagabond. It's everywhere. And when we exhale slowly, the vagus nerve is stimulated, which in turn slows the heart down. So, like I said, when we inhale, the heart beats faster. And the mechanism for that is that it inhibits regions in the midbrain that will cause the heart to slow down, but it, it needs to go faster in order to provide, again, more oxygen and blood to the lungs and to the brain. However, when we exhale slowly, we put in the brakes on that sympathetic mode and allow on the parasympathetic system to kick in. Now, of course, the key is to practice Qigong long-term, because the more you practice it, the better the results. The basic components of Qigong involve concentration, relaxation, meditation, breathing regulation, body posture, and movement. In China, approximately 5% of the 1.3 billion people practice Qigong to improve their health and prevent disease. You've been listening to the Good Medicine Podcast. To learn more about our practice, see us on the web at thegoodmedicinepodcast.com 
or call us at 904-806-7123. That's 904-806-7123. Thank you for listening. Thank you.